from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast, and I am Perry. Hi, this is Michelle this morning. And this is Mark Grimes tomorrow. <laughs> we are balancing the energies in the in the tiny house studio today. Um, it's hot in here. It's hot in here. And <laughs> and God is smiling upon us because of the guests we have on today. Uh, we have uh, a fabulous guy. He is the CEO of an organization called Mobile Loaves and Fishes. Now, uh, you guys, we, d- we didn't do the, the typical banter. I'm just jumping right into it because we, we don't have a lot of time. Tiny House listeners, we had a little bit of technical difficulties this morning, and we really want to respect Alan Graham's time, so we're just going to jump into it. Mobile Loaves and Fishes, you kind of wonder, why are we talking about this organization on the Tiny House podcast? Well, they have this fantastic planned community that includes several different types of um, uh, dwellings that fit into the context and what we're talking about, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but let me talk a little bit about Mobile Loaves and Fishes before I introduce our guest and have him um, talk on the show. So Mobile Loaves and Fishes started when five parishioners of St. John Newman's Catholic Church, um, as they say, boldly answered God's call to love their neighbor as themselves. That's not a quote from the Bible, but that's a paraphrase. (laughs) And so Alan Graham, our guest and his friends, basically started delivering meals out of a truck and that uh, back in 1998 spawned what we see today, a very successful, um, quite impressive, I have to say, uh, community and outreach program that is addressing the homeless problem in Austin, Texas, and providing uh, housing for veterans and others. The uh, nonprofit Mobile Open Fishes uh, runs on a budget of about $3.5 million, and the CEO, Alan Graham, is with us today. Alan, welcome to the show. It is awesome, Perry, to be on with you guys. Thank you all very much. <laughs> We're, I'm very happy to have you on board and love that Texas accent. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. so in addition, y'all are, y'all are great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> A little unsolicited plug there. Wait, wait till you get done. Wait till afterwards. Then you can. Then you'll really know for sure. We're going to ask you at the end if we've changed your opinion. So, Alan, it's interesting. Many of the people that we talk with on the Tiny House podcast are people who live in the tiny house, in a tiny house, or they're part of the tiny house community in some way, or they're advocates of the tiny house movement. And and many of those people, uh, some of those people we've interviewed, uh, are responding to a calling from God to live the way they're living, and they do ministries from their um, what do you call those buses? Schoolies. From the schoolies or from their tiny houses, roaming the country, doing their mis- their missionary work, or they're living just with their family and, and living their Christ-centered life that way. And, and, and then there are others who, although they're not Christian, they too are responding to a call from their version of their higher power. And, and as a result of that, living simple lives and doing more to uh, share their lives with the outside world as opposed to collecting things and hoarding material goods and living in big houses and whatnot. Would you please tell us your um, personal experiences that led you to creating Mobile Loaves and Fishes? And then we'll get to the the community you're doing in a minute. 
Well, from a uh, from a personal uh, point of view, uh, there was kind of a, a spiritual moment about 20 years ago. It was in October of 1996, and I went on a mentory to my church, and God. I had I known at the time that men were going to hold hands with each other and hug it out in that bromance way, uh, <laughs> I would have I would have never gone. Um, and I ended up in this retreat that turned into kind of exactly that. Uh, but by the end of this thirty-hour uh, retreat, uh, I just had this uh, very powerful heart connection to God that's very hard to describe. And I just began a philosophy at that time of just say yes. What do you want me to do? Uh, And uh, and that led uh, really to the vision of Bobolos and Fishes entering my brain to go out and acquire a catering truck uh, and load it with uh, stuff from those of us that have abundance uh, to take out to men and women that live on the streets uh, that lack abundance and. Really, kind of that simple. And I, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so uh, uh, when I get an idea like that in my brain, it's just uh, until it just completely abjectly fails, uh, I, I don't stop. Interesting, Alan. We we have a we have kind of like an undertone of entrepreneurship in the Tiny House podcast. And so you mentioning that you're a serial entrepreneur got a big thumbs up from Mark. Tell me tell me about your background relative to entrepreneurship. Well, um, I dropped out of the University of Texas in 1978 because, frankly, I hated school and I wasn't really that good at it. Uh, I could probably be diagnosed as uh, moderately ADD, so sitting in a classroom and trying to study was not uh, uh, in my wheelhouse. And then in 1978, when I left school and uh, I got into the real estate world and learned how to spell and pronounce the word entrepreneur. Uh, I still can't spell it. it, it you are. Yeah, it actually uh, it, it changed my life, and um, and and I began uh, to invest in real estate. I began to develop in real estate, and towards the end of my that part of my life in the '90s, I was developing air cargo facilities on airports wow. around uh, the United States. Um, and so, uh, and then I get this call from God to go and uh, and feed the the chronically homeless and uh, love on them. Uh, and I thought I was getting out of the real estate business, but uh, uh, voila, uh, he had different plans. Yeah. And uh, now, yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of the the short end, the nickel part of that story. Are are you are you talking again on your headset and your mic? Or are you talking directly into the computer? No, I'm on uh, my phone on my headset. Okay, and your phone is your headset is does it have a mic on the on the cord? Yes, it does. Okay, just kind of hold that away from your body because we're we're getting the rubbing that it's it's doing against your body, perhaps, and it's it's yeah yeah probably my beard. Yeah, so oh, it's your beard. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you just call from Texas that? after all. You just shave yeah. that. We'll, we'll we'll be right here. We'll just listen while you finish that up. So, Alan, did you? So, when you were doing the um the facilities for airports, did you make a ton of money? Um, I did moderately well uh and uh by the time i started walking away from that business uh and i sold out my interest my family and i were able to survive for a few years uh, without any income uh but then that that basically uh ended at some point in time so okay uh yeah my partner though is a multimillionaire today so uh, (laughs) my former partner (laughs) yeah yeah interesting was was that an amicable break 
Yes, it was. Oh, good, yeah. good. Okay, so so tell us about community first, because this is what we want to focus on. And there's another surprise that I want to share with the listeners from what the programs that you do. But let's talk about community first. First, tell us well, a, about the community. Yeah, and so um, after you know serving on the streets and in the bowels of the Austin community and getting to know the men and women that are living uh, on the streets and and why they're there, which we believe. Uh, the single greatest cause to homelessness is a profound, catastrophic loss of family. Hmm. In 2005, I got this idea uh, to go out and purchase a gently used recreational vehicle, you know, a 280, 300 square foot tiny house, mm -hmm. in essence, on wheels, and lift one guy up off the streets into a privately owned RV park. Um, and that was very successful. And we did a second and a third. And as a real estate entrepreneur, I began to fantasize about developing what we call an RV park on steroids. Um, and, you know, 13 years later, uh, we had this 27 acre uh, uh, RV park on steroids that includes 140 uh, tiny homes, 100 RVs, which are also tiny homes. Um, and then uh, an extraordinary uh, mix of uh, community stuff. We have an outdoor Alamo draft house movie theater with a 500-seat amphitheater. We have a bed and breakfast on site. Wow. We have a little store, a medical wow. clinic, an operations building, an art house, a blacksmithing shop, a phenomenal uh, urban uh, organic uh, farm and animal husband husbandry uh, operation and it's just uh, it, it's actually turned out to be an in, incredible place and uh, you know one other little comment before I uh, stop is that we, we call our place a 250 bedroom 17 and a half million dollar mansion <laughs> and your, your, your tiny house is your kind of your bedroom yeah thing. Right. that's uh, beautiful yeah yeah yeah, and then you come out and live in community and interact and mm -hmm. uh, uh, rub up against other human beings. It's, it's really quite extraordinary and uh, sometimes uh, quite dysfunctional, but uh, <laughs> we're it's how get we're to meant that. to live. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Is that the original anim animal? Um, draft? Yeah, Is that yeah, the original right. draft house there, the Alamo draft house? Yeah, the original. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. so, I mean, that's uh, like world yeah, famous. Tim Lee, who's the founder of Alamo, is, uh, founded it here in Austin, Texas. He's a great friend of... Uh, uh, friend of ours, yeah. That's great. Well, well so, well, for for the listeners who don't know what that is, like myself, what is Alamo House? What is that? Well, the Alamo Draft House is really the first movie theater in the country uh, that did something pretty radical. They went and bought that old, uh, shut down uh, movie theaters, removed every other row, and replaced them with tables, uh, and then reopened uh, as a movie house. Uh, but you, you eat food and, and drink beer and $6 milkshakes, uh, uh, you know, during the middle of the movie. When and, was this? Uh, it's, a, it's an experience that's now migrating all over the United States uh, and has transformed, I think, movie going. Yeah. When did that happen, Alan? Uh, their original Alamo or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The original. Uh, yeah, yeah. Gosh. Uh, I'm going to say uh, 15, 20 years ago. Okay. Somewhere. Yeah. And they also kind of, not invented necessarily, but they do a lot of sing-along movies, and they do like oh. interactive 
odd little fun things. Okay. So it's more of an experience than oftentimes than just going to the movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they'll do a they'll do a twenty four hour series of movies where it's like a lock in. You can't get out. You can't go to sleep. Uh, they're, they're they're crazy good. <laughs> It's amazing. I'm I'm just impressed listening to your description of the community. Um, there are so many people in the tiny house community that want to do exactly that. So I just want to say thank you for actually taking that dream and making it into reality. And uh, and that's really really impressive. Mm-hmm. Michelle, I hope y'all can come down and uh, check us out someday. So. It would be fantastic. So the picture at the top of the website in the community first village page. It looks like are those yurts there? Uh, you may be looking at teepees, Those perhaps. Are, they yeah. don't look like teepees. Uh, uh, or, uh, you know, kind of safari-style yes. tents. I'm yes. not looking at that page, so I'm not exactly sure uh, yes. what you're looking at. But part of the options, uh, the teepees are in the bed and breakfast. Mm. Uh, and those are really popular, and, uh, uh, you know, we rent those out a lot. The the canvas-sided cottages, what we call the canvas-sided cottage, that, yeah. uh is a 12 by 12 uh, custom made uh, very high end uh, tent for us and it's one of the options uh, and the lowest cost option for a chronically homeless individual to choose from uh, when they're moving into the community and, and those in our community rent fully furnished with the refrigerator freezer microwave crock pot coffee maker for $225 a month, $7 a day, by the way, uh, to live in a gated community with running water, running sewer, trash collection, safety and security, organic farming, and all the other great stuff I mentioned earlier. Alan, this is, this is freaking amazing. So, so, um, what, so one of the, one of the things we've talked about in the show relative to using tiny houses to solve the homeless problem is that giving a person a home who's homeless off sometimes is not the solution because it's not being homeless that's the problem there are other problems and one of them you pointed to which was i think you called it the immediate destruction of the family or something like that yeah so so i noticed that part of this community is not just about giving people a home but you also provide opportunities for the 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 residents to gain work gainful employment get income from that employment can you talk about that please yeah, and um, and so one of the things that we have anecdotally learned while we were out on the streets, see, I, I moved to Austin, Texas, forty-one years ago. I'm, I'm sixty-one now. I came up here to go to the University of Texas. When I came here, there were no panhandlers on our street corner, but there were men and women selling newspapers, bottles of water, flowers, and the most awesome velvet. Elvis art you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and, and today, uh, this stuff is either against the law or the burden of getting permitted to do that mm. is so restrictive that it eliminates people who live in extreme po- poverty mm-hmm. from being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Yet the only remaining bastion of entrepreneurialism left for people who live in poverty happens to be the First Amendment free speech right to panhandle. Mm. And I find this ridiculous. And so as an entrepreneur, I wanted to go in and, hey, what is it that you like to do? I'm a salesman. I'm an artist. Uh, Yeah, I could learn blacksmithing. And so we've empowered them 
uh, into a cultivating lifestyle by finding those things that they do well and then helping them. And we become the bulldozer to help them move that into the economy. As an example, on our movie night at our outdoor movie theater, every Friday night, free movie night to the entire city of Austin, whoever wants to come out there, the concession stand and the burger grill and the, and the, and the projection system is all being operated by somebody that was formerly or even currently chronically homeless. And they are averaging, uh, $35 an hour in net profits and tips from their activities. Wow. It's incredible. It yeah. is incredible. Good grief. So, yeah. so how, how, I want to change the, change the subject just a tiny bit. How many people are on the property that are not homeless? That are like, that are like visitors coming to experience the experience. Well, there's two uh, component. There's two answers to that question. Uh, uh, answer number one is that we anticipate that 20 percent of our residential population of that community will be people that will be living there missionally. They're just people like you and I that are called primarily by the gospel on a spiritual basis to live in community uh, with men and women that were formerly chronically homeless. So ultimately, our population will be. Uh, maybe 250, so 50 people will be living there. I can tell you that I have the president of one of the largest technology companies in the world. He runs the North American division for that company and manages a billion and a half in revenue and about 2,500 employees. Him and his wife live in an RV. What? Uh, Yes, yeah. (laughs) Um, And and then the second uh, answer to that question is our model, Community First, Uh, makes a bold, profound statement that if you really want to mitigate a profound human issue like homelessness, you got to get involved and get dirty. Mm. Uh, No longer advocating this to the government. We got to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on any given week, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that pour into that community uh, to serve in a myriad of ways and hang out with our friends and, uh, it's just a, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool situation. Like like recently, we had uh, uh, a week and a half ago the second annual Austin Forging Competition. Sixteen of the greatest blacksmiths uh, in the United States, one of those from the the Portland area, in town with eight hundred people out there watching this competition unfold on a on a Saturday. Wow. Too fun. So talk a little bit about the demographics of your permanent residents. Um, are they are they all across the board, all races, um, all genders? Uh, yeah, all races, all genders. Um, our first uh, rule of thumb is that you must be chronically homeless. And our definition is an unaccompanied male or female, no children with a disabling condition, having lived on the streets of the Austin area for at least a year. Wow. Uh, so that's number one. And um, and I would say, uh, I don't know exactly what our demographic makeup is, but it, uh, uh, it it's, it's pretty much across the board of every uh, uh, gender orientation, every flavor that you can possibly imagine on the men and women side of the deal it's about 70 30 men to women and that's pretty reflective of what's on the streets about Mm -hmm. 70 uh, 
30. And Michelle, as you know, women are much smarter than men are. So there's less of them living on the streets in that here, caustic here. environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. It's That's just okay. the truth. we got to admit it. We're okay with it. We're, okay with it. We're married, so, we yeah. know. <laughs> so help me dispel a myth here, a, a homeless myth. Um, so, or, or shall we say a generalization? Um, there's a, there's a, a, there's an opinion um, that goes something like this, that people that are given things don't appreciate them. So talk a little bit about, um, as you bring in someone that's been chronically homeless and you, and you give them your house and you talk to them about what they're going to be doing to, to contribute to the community, what is their overall attitude towards, towards that as far as, you know, is, do they feel empowered? Do they feel, um, talk a little bit about that process. Well, I will tell you that I'm one of these guys that happens to believe that everyone should have skin in the game. Um, and hence, our number one rule is that you must pay rent. And you don't pay rent, we're kicking you out. It's that simple. <laughs> and, um, and so we want people to be bought in uh, to what we're do doing. We also believe... Uh, that the entitlement mentality, the level of the entitlement mentality that we have going on in this country now is actually a disability uh, for people. Uh, and, and, and that's a complex conversation that we're not going to be able to uh, dive into uh, completely uh, here. Um, and part of our responsibility, I think, when we lift people up into this community is, is help break them from... Uh, a lot of that entitlement mentality. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trying to get them off uh, government assistance or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a couple of innate things about you and I as a human being. And one of those is that uh, you and I want to be purposeful in life. That You, you don't want to just lay around watching Oprah on TV all day long. Um, and, and when we do do those things, uh, like if we get sick or we have an ice storm or something like that, that locks us in, we start getting antsy yeah. and, uh, you know, we need to create a release uh, for people to be able to come out of that environment and be, be purposeful. I hope that answered your question. So no, very much so. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the, um, the, for lack of a better term, black and white requirements, in pretty black and white. Here yeah. on the left coast, we tend to be a little bit more um, flowery, and and we tend to be a little bit more, of course, liberal in our in our uh, contributions to the to the homeless. So it it I appreciate the again the black and white approach that you take to here is here is what you are being given, and here is what you are going to contribute. How, yeah, yeah, and I think it's really a mix between uh, the two. You know. Um, uh, I wouldn't call myself necessarily progressively uh, liberal, but I'm, uh, there's so much of the, those tenets, especially in the areas of social justice, that I, I completely believe in. And, yeah. uh, uh, but you know, what I believe in, more importantly, is that government should only play a subsidiary role to you and I yeah. yep. to, to mitigate this, not become the primary role. Yeah. And that's, that's where the problem is, I believe. So. Yeah. So, so um, Alan, I'm curious, to what degree, and uh, this may be a touchy subject, and I'm, I'm not bringing it up for negative purposes or to try to squirrel you into some sort of a corner. Um, to what degree does uh, evangelism or proselytization play in the community? 
zero on the proselytizing uh, side of the equation. We make no bones, uh, I, and I do. Uh, obviously, the name of the uh, organization, Mobile Loaves and Fishes, is right out of the Gospels. Uh, uh, I wear a cross around my neck. I make no bones about my love of of Christ, but I also make my no bones about my love of every human being that's on this planet. So you can walk on that property as an atheist, as a as a Muslim, as a Hindu, and you are going to get and receive exactly the same amount of dignity that we would pour forth to anybody that would walk on that uh, walk, walk on that property. And what I want to do is begin to change uh, the dialogue, and uh, you know, amongst people of any faith, whether your uh, uh, your faith is uh, atheism or, or or whatever, that we all belong at this banquet table of inclusion, mm. and don't don't strip away fundamentally who you are, uh, but let's come to this table for this common purpose of mitigating the homelessness in our community and have a deep respect. We're not going to dialogue about doctrine because I'm, I'm not buying into those other doctrines. I'm not expecting you to buy into mine. Uh, if I'm interested in your doctrine, I'll ask you about it. If you're interested in mine, you'll ask me about mine. That's just kind of fundamentally how I, how I feel. That's fantastic. So I'm curious, earlier when we were talking about um, this, the uh, framework of the housing in, on your property, and it's really beautiful, by the way. Listeners, if you go to their website, there's this gorgeous map they have that lays out all of the amenities of this place, and it really is spectacular. But um, it, sounds, it sounds, Alan, we've been kind of talking to the d- degree about this, this project you have that it sounds kind of utopian. But earlier you talked about the, the – you alluded to, you didn't talk about it, the kind of troubles – that can exist when people come together in a community like this. Can you can you give us some of the stories that illustrate that this? While this is a great community, um, it, it's it's not perfect as no community of human beings can be. Well, um, I think this will explain it well. People ask me all the time, Alan, what will it be like when you get two hundred or two hundred and fifty of these people <laughs> on the property? Oh, those. My yeah. response is always, uh, well, I think it's going to be a lot like your family. <laughs> and then there's this, there's this pause and these uh, saucer-sized eyeballs and followed by a, uh, an uh-oh with probably a four-letter word involved mm-hmm. in that deal. And I go, I go, yeah, what do you expect, honestly? Yeah. I mean, we have a hard time. Uh, uh, dealing with each other. I mean, I've got a phenomenal uh, 33-year marriage to my best friend, mother of five children, and uh, not everything's utopian in our house. <laughs> and um, and so human beings, uh, when they come together uh, and, you know, uh, can create friction, and we certainly had that. But it's not the gun and knife club out there. It's just uh, <laughs> humans getting mad at each other and yelling at each other and uh, and then people jumping in and trying to get people up off the cliff just like you would right in the studio where the three of you guys are. Right. I mean, um, yeah. So that was beautiful. Uh, is, yeah. is, is gun and knife show is that, or the gun and knife club? Is that like a, an Austin euphemism for for? No, that's their tagline. Well, it's, it's actually, a, it's actually, a, it's actually a, uh, an emergency room. Every hospital in the United States uh, talks about the gun and knife clubs, uh, typically on Friday and Saturday oh, nights. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. so, so, so it flows uh, uh, out of that spirit of uh, 
you can always expect in major urban areas on Fridays and Saturday nights, you're going to get more gun and knife wounds I see. Uh, on those two nights. And they call it the gun and knife club. Wow. So, Thank you for that education. So that makes me want to <laughs> ask you some questions about your personal life. Were you, <laughs> were you always a Christian? Uh, you know, maybe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Christianity is you know, not quite I as black was, and uh, white as their theories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was raised, uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, but by the time I was in my teen years in the late sixties and early seventies, man, uh, <laughs> man, you know, I didn't want to, yeah, I kind of abandoned that, uh, <laughs> lifestyle and went to the, uh, the debauchery side of things and uh uh you know, and, trip. you know there might have been a time in my life when i would say that i'm i was agnostic but i don't know that i really believed uh believe that mm-hmm. uh but then you know post-marriage and the kids starting to come into the world uh you think from an intellectual point of view that it would be good to take the kids to church <laughs> so that they can get the buffet of moral and ethical values that most churches and synagogues and mosques uh, provide, and that—that's what we did, and uh, and then here we are today. So, how how did you meet your wife? Um, she was um, clerking in her last semester at the University of Texas at a law firm that I was a client of, and um, uh, in 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 Austin near the downtown area, there's the kind of the western side of downtown that was uh, being redeveloped out of residential uh, into uh, offices and stuff. And they had these two shotgun houses that they were hmm. building together with a uh, with the breezeway. And on the day that they were uh, moving uh, furniture and settling in there, I, I was there as a client, and uh, she came in. Uh, wearing a pretty nice tight pair of blue jeans. <laughs> <laughs> That's all she wrote. <laughs> and, and, and asked me to uh, help move a filing cabinet and they go, huh? <laughs> Okay, I got it. Okay, yeah. I got to ask, what lovely set of circumstances provided you with the opportunity to require a lawyer? Well said. <laughs> real estate, real estate. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it was a, yeah that okay. circumstance, yeah. You know, that's what Buying we call, I think that's what estate. we call, yeah. what's the uh, um, yeah. damsel in distress. That's actually, a, that's a strategy. <laughs> I can't possibly move this by myself. <laughs> Damsel in distress and tight blue jeans. (laughs) Exactly. It's the ultimate. It's a winning combination. Yeah. Um, So um, who who funds your activities, uh, Alan? Uh, Really, 100% of our funding comes from uh, private uh, donations, and that's that's intentional on our part. Uh, We want to relieve our government, actually, of of that responsibility because we, we think the community... Uh, should own it. So we spend an extraordinary amount of time building relationships Mm. all across the city and all across anywhere, everywhere um, uh, with people that could be, uh, that would, and and basically what we're doing is we're inviting them into our, our vision. And if if their heart catches it, uh, we we know that their treasure will, will follow that heart. So 
Well, it's interesting that you, you say you spend an extra, I'm not contradicting you. It's interesting you say you spend an extraordinary amount of time doing that work, but it only makes up like, I think it was 9% or less of your total budget. He's I'm not sure account. what you're looking at on that 9%. I uh, was looking side. at what we say yeah. uh, is that uh, 90% of all of our funding comes from 10% of the people, which is true. It's called the Pareto principle. If you're interested in looking at uh, and understanding life in general and why there's a, a constant flow of money to people at the top, it's uh, it really has to do with the Pareto, P-A-R-E-T-O principle developed uh, by a guy in the late 1800s, a mathematician, actually. Um, and so it's the 80-20, 90-10 rule that you, you hear a lot about. But 90% of our money comes from about 10%. Uh, 10% of the people. Now, in the on the operational side of the village, about 60% of the money comes uh, from the rent that the men and women, uh, the other 40%-ish, uh, uh, will come from what we call human care, and that's the invitation, the open-door invitation for people to come into the community and live life in the community uh, with all of us that are in the community, and 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 because of that opportunity, maybe to farm or to blacksmith or to go to free movies, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that your treasure will also follow that. So I see. That's I, interesting. Hang on just a second, Michelle. I just want to clarify. I was looking at um, the statement of functional expenses of 2015, Alan, and it said that fundraising represents. I'm looking at it now. Seven seven percent of your uh, expenses. That's where I was. That's where I was. Yeah, thinking. and so. Um, you know, I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to those numbers, but what that what that number is saying is that of our uh, administrative costs that are out there, seven percent. So if 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 I'm raising a million dollars uh, a year, uh, seventy thousand uh, is going as an expenditure to raise money, and that could be in the form of galas, which we don't do, or mailouts, or uh, different things like that, or even staff uh, that are dedicated to raising money uh, would be in that uh, would be oh. in that category. Right. So yeah, it seems, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah. It, it seems like for the enormous amount of time that you say you do that, it's not costing your organization a lot of money to do it, which is a really good indication yes. of your operation. No, that is. Yeah. So yeah. I see where you're. I, I see where you are yeah. uh, now on that, yeah. and uh, that's exactly right. We don't do the galas. We don't do uh, fun runs. We don't do golf tournaments. Uh, it's all about the invitation of bringing people out there on that property and sharing the vision, and that just doesn't cost us yeah. uh, uh, much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, it's interesting. His his segue was a, or his uh, question was a segue to mine. Um, it's what I want to call out is specifically what you just said about spending an inordinate amount of time building relationships. Yeah. You didn't say we spend an inordinate amount of time fundraising. Um, and I think that's a really, really interesting, really admirable differentiation. Having spent some time in, in nonprofits myself, the it becomes the F word. You know, it becomes the one thing no one wants to talk mm -hmm. about. And I appreciate your perspective and your your illustration of truly what that process involves. Well, the, uh, the, the, the way that almost all nonprofits raise money is from a transactional basis. They're going to come to you and they go, I have this big need and I need your money. Mm -hmm. And, and we're opposite of that. We're, we're saying, um, we never express our need, uh, unless you ask for what that need, 
uh, is. We're, we're more, we have a ratio that we've developed called the HP ratio, where H is the numerator and P is the denominator. H stands for heart and the P is for pocket. It's heart over pocket. And um, it's just our fundamental philosophy. I would rather invite you into the heart side of what we do, the relationship side of what we do, and the pocket will resolve itself. Nobody ever comes out on our property going, oh, I see that you don't need any money here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we all need money. They always, ask, they always ask us, Alan, this is a setup question, by the way. <laughs> Alan, what do you need besides money? Yeah. And the answer is always mo money. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the money. <laughs> That's a good answer. Alex. So, yeah. so you don't need blue jeans or use windows. Yeah, it's money. Yeah. Exactly. So it's interesting that the conversation we're now having leads me to the little surprise that I think would be really fascinated to be heard by our listeners, and that is this concept uh, in, in your, your uh, building relationships, you have this thing called street retreats. Can you talk about those? Well, uh, back in the uh, early part uh, of founding the ministry, uh, which was founded in 98, and probably, you know, 99, 2000 or something like that, I got this crazy idea that I wanted to get to know on a first name basis, every man and woman that lived on the streets of Austin. Because I, I thought that the way that the system, in quotes, was handling it, it was a bunch of intellectual people sitting around a conference room table at some university deciding what is in the best interest of people that they've never met or yeah. don't even know. Yeah. Um, and so in 2003, uh, in May of 2003, actually, uh, 14 years ago, this month, mm -hmm. uh, I, along with 15 other people, embarked on a three-day street retreat, a one-on-one -on -one retreat between you and God, whatever God means to you. But our retreat center was the Wallace streets of downtown uh, Austin. And uh, guys, I'm going to tell you, that was one of the most profound experiences of my life. I have done about 50 of those now, have spent about 150 nights on the streets, sleeping with our friends in every conceivable location, urban camps, shelters, uh, parking lots, alleyways, uh, wherever. And, and that's where uh, we uh, began to develop this deep, intimate relationship with the men and women that we were called uh, to serve. Yeah. And, and so just quickly, can you, set, can you set up the circumstances? Like you, when these people come to you and want to do this retreat, you, you, I want to say you give them, but you actually don't give them some things, and then you just kind of send them out there, right? Well, um, typically, like uh, the Easter week street retreat, which always starts on Palm Sunday, is a 72-hour retreat. Uh, we'll meet at a common location uh, at one of our commissaries, load everybody on a bus or in the back of pickup trucks, and haul them into downtown Austin. We have shepherds with them, and we're dropped off. Uh, you can't bring any credit cards, cell phones, uh, money, uh, any of that. Uh, kind of stuff, although the shepherds will have, have uh, uh, cell phones. Uh, and then um, life kind of unfolds. We, we kind of call it, it's like uh, tubing in a river. You know, you got no rudder, mm -hmm. and you're really going wherever the current is taking you. And, and what ends up happening is that when, the moment that you're dropped off, and we're always dropped off in areas where our friends will con 
your gate. Uh, suddenly, you start getting welcomed into their home. Hmm. Hey, what are you guys doing? And um, and then, you know, you can ask them a question. God, if I wanted to eat breakfast in the morning, where would that be? And the next thing you know, they, they become your eyes and ears uh, to the street. We just kind of start moving uh, in that river, uh, seeing where, for most of us, where God has taken us. But, uh, you know, wh- whatever perspective uh, you want. And uh, we're there for three days, man, sleeping, or really not sleeping. It's uh, complete sleep deprivation, frankly. It's uh, horrible. (laughs) Isn't that inviting? It's horrible. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but it's horrible good. Yeah. And um, it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's so transformative because what ends up happening is that, instead of looking through our tinted windshield at our stoplights and not even making eye contact with men and women, all of a sudden, man, there's uh, Perry, Michelle, Mark, Alan, whoever. Uh, and, and we start learning about each other and realizing that, man, that there's actually a lot more in common, you know, yeah. uh, with us than there is not, not in common. So, yeah. yeah. I, so we're almost out of time, but I, I, um, uh, I read when I was doing the research on you and your organization that you have a book coming out, and Mark showed just us that out, it yeah. just came out two two months ago, like two less months than two ago. months ago. Yeah, March seventh. Yeah. Right. Well, and you want to give a quick plug of, of your book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. It's uh, called Welcome Homeless. Um, it's uh, with the words less crossed out. Uh, published by Harper Collins and their Christian publishing arm, uh, Thomas Nelson. Um, and the book. Um, You know, there's kind of two meanings to that welcome homeless or welcome home. First of all, um, if we have a complete paradigm shift in our country and begin to welcome people into our community, whether they have a house or don't have a house, we're going to really be able to profoundly more effectively move the needle. And then it's this journey of what it really means uh, to be at home. Uh, because if you want to understand homelessness, you're going to have to understand home. And I began to describe that, that uh, what home means, through my encounters with about 11 or 12 men and women uh, that I've chosen out of my 20 years of being on the, on the streets. And it turns out that uh, when you really look deeply into what it means to be home, it has nothing to do with the house. Wow. This is why the, you know, the, the tiny house movement to solve homelessness, the transactional side of that mm-hmm. is not going to work. But the relational side of that deal will work in spades. And that's what we have going on out at uh, the Community First Village. And that's what we want to evangelize out there, that, that that tiny house, sticking somebody in a 80 or 100 or a 200 square foot house and then moving away um, they're going to be equally as lonely and hopeless inside that space. But if you create a community, we have a phrase that says housing will never solve homelessness, but community will. That's that's kind of, you know, what that book is uh, is about. Wow. That's uh, your perspective on the you're distinguishing trans, the transactional thing from the what's the opposite of that? The, relational. The, yeah. The transaction from yeah. the relational solution is really, really profound, actually. And, um, Alan, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and talking about your mobile loaves and fishes. 
Um, you're a consummate gentleman, and obviously you are in your wheelhouse in terms of your calling for God, from God. Well, guys, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys, and uh, y'all, y'all come on down to Texas and Austin and uh, check us out. <laughs> Sounds good. Actually, <laughs> actually, you may you may not believe this, but that's okay. Um, I literally am sitting here on my email with my laptop, and I just sent an email to my two children. And with a link to your website and said, how do you feel about going to visit Austin this summer? Because <laughs> oh, we've been looking for a place that inspires us to go visit as a family. Nice. And um, please, so I'm trying please to do and email me and I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll personally greet you and tour you. Oh, that would be super fun. Nice. I appreciate that yeah. invitation. Speaking yeah. of invitations, do we have an invitation to the listeners today, or, or what are we doing on there? Yeah, no. just keep on listening. Just keep on listening. Okay. We invite listeners to think we are as awesome as we think we are. Or at least as awesome as Alan is. Yeah, is <laughs> yeah that's true. Let's say, let's say one-eighth as awesome <laughs> as Alan is, because Quite, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. It was really inspiring to yeah. hear this, this style of community being set up. I mean, we just, here in the Northwest, we just had a new tiny house community just open up in Seattle. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, uh, critique over that. And so, but again, the focus was on the tiny houses, right? The mm-hmm. focus wasn't yeah. on the relational perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a really great example for Thank people you. that are thinking about setting up future communities. Don't focus on the tiny houses, but they're just so political, you know, they're just yeah. so uh, uh, eye candy. You know, everybody likes to focus on the houses, but really, really inspiring. Thank you for your time today. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. And uh, Tiny House listener, Tiny House podcast listeners, please tune in to our next show because we're going to have an equally exciting uh, topic and an equally exciting guest. And uh, we will see you on the flip side. See ya. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.